You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 276. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is my number one recommendation if you are going to start a website of any kind. If you want it to look beautiful, professional, and you want to do it with the ease of clicking just a few buttons and without having to have a developer and all the complications that can come with having a very complicated website. Squarespace has done such a great job. I simply recommend you go get photos taken to suit the design that you've selected at Squarespace. So go pick a template that you like and then work with the photographer to make the photos match that template as beautifully as possible. If you do that, I promise you no one will even probably be able to know if your photographer gets it right well enough that you've ever done anything as simple as you possibly can. And you're only going to spend a fraction of what it's going to cost to make a simple custom website. So if you want to give this a shot, you can try this by going over to squarespace.com lively to get a free trial. Pick that template design. Like I said, go get some photos taken and then use the code lively for your first purchase of a website or domain. I hope you love it as much as we have here at Team Lively. Now let's move on where I am. I'm in Sydney, but I want to move on straight to this episode because it is hot off the press. I just recorded it, and now I'm getting the introduction made so that Joe can edit this for you to go live this week. It is the Crystal episode. The Crystal episode. I know thousands of people have been excited about this. I've seen it over on Instagram. Everyone's enthusiasm is so exciting. And I have asked the very perfect person, Hibiscus Moon of hibiscusmoon.com, to come on the show and share. Now, don't let the word hibiscus moon. She's going to explain her name in a second, why she's called that. But do not let that make you think that this is going to be a very woo-woo episode. This is for the science, the skeptic. This is for the explanation of why crystals work. You've seen them as a trend in social media and in home design and all those sorts of things. But I wanted to break it down. We go to the quantum level. We go into all the physics. This is actually one of the most scientific episodes to date of The Lively Show. And I am so excited because I have yet to hear anything remotely touching what we're going to go into in this episode around technology, crystals, intentions, and all the things that come along with them and break this down for you. So if you've been using crystals for a long time, you'll probably learn a bit more about the science behind them. Or if you're new to them and you're a little bit skeptical, you're going to at least have a far deeper understanding of what's going on from a frequency, vibration, and so much more. So let's go to the show. Hibiscus, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you invited me, Jess, because your podcast is one of my favorites these days. Well, you've got to know how many thousands of people are cheering right now as this episode kicks off. I know so many people are so excited about this, and I'm going to get this out there right at the start because some people like myself initially might be wondering, Jess has someone named Hibiscus Moon on the show about the skeptical crystal person. This is the skeptical crystal story. So can you tell us why you go by Hibiscus Moon and a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are? Absolutely. Okay, so Hibiscus Moon is like my most important name, but it's not my only name. It's my spirit name. And the reason I started going by my spirit name is because 
oh, many moons ago, I was a science department chair. I was teaching physics to gifted students. And, you know, I was the department head for science. And at the same time, I was getting quite heavily into my crystals. Um, I was always interested in them, but uh, right around the tail end of my stint there, I was for 12 years doing this science department head gig and loving it. I loved my job. I loved working with the kids and teaching science and doing all the exploratory stuff with them and seeing their ahas and absolutely loved it. But I had this metaphysical side of me and I started merging the two sides together. You know, I was teaching a bit of geology and some about the crystals and things in class wherever I could squeeze it in. <laughs> you know, taking as much advantage of that opportunity as possible. But at the same time, I was sowing my oats, I guess you could say, in the online world and finding my community and my people there. I started off on YouTube just looking for other people that were into the metaphysical side of crystals. And I was diving deep into crystal grids and how to use them more efficiently and finding a community of like-minded people. And they started asking me because they knew I was a teacher. And I guess the way I explain things, I approach things from a scientific point of view. And that really struck a chord. And it was really funny. These videos are so funny. Some of them are still on YouTube. YouTube. My face is not in the video because I had to hide. Being a science department chair for the largest, at the time it was the largest or the second largest school district in the nation, in the United States. So I couldn't really come out of the closet, as they say, as a crystal woo-woo person and also still be taken seriously doing what I did. And then I wrote a book at the same time. I'm kind of like weaving all over the place because everything just happened so quickly <laughs> all at the same time. And so I had to come up with an alter ego, a pen name or something to kind of hide behind. And I was making these videos with just my hands and the crystals <laughs> in 2007. It was so funny. But, you know, everybody was fine with it. Nobody cared. I guess a lot of people were doing that at the time. Maybe people still are. I don't know. But then they started asking me, well, hey, you're a teacher. Can you teach a class about this? And I knew how to do online classes when nobody was doing them. So, yeah, sure, I can do that. That sounds like fun. So I did it and everything kind of grew from there. This is incredible and exactly why I asked you to do the Crystal Show because you are just like myself. I see why you can like the show. I was telling you at the start of this, I have a mother who is an art major, a father who's an engineer, and out of that duality of both perspectives, I've been seeking both perspectives on the same subjects. And it's so interesting looking at the historical context of our society over the last maybe thousand years and how once upon a time in the Middle Ages, especially and up to the Renaissance, like the religion was the permission slip of society to accept or reject ideas. And when that flipped, thank you, Newton, who ironically was channeling, which I find hilarious that we bash Newton so much. I myself on the show, by the way, guys, public apology to Sir Isaac Newton. He was channeling his information. He wasn't doing this in the logic way. It was in the 1800s that the French people threw the mystical out of Newton. He himself was into alchemy and all crazy kinds of stuff. But either way, yeah, so once we get into that physical reality and science becoming the permission slip, which was a leap ahead because then we didn't have the manipulation of the, the religious people in charge forming the opinions and forming the forcing of the humans to behave how they wanted. That was liberating. But now look at you. You're now in the science world having to hide yourself, almost like a clergyman that was into science back in the day would have had to do 500, 1,000 years ago. Isn't that so interesting? 
like Galileo, I was worried about being put on house arrest for the rest of my life. Not really. But I didn't want to make it a big embarrassment for the school system that I was in. But the school I worked in and the people that I worked with closely, even up to my principal, knew totally what I was up to. They all knew. I mean, even the most unlikely people, you know, as a last resort, whenever something blew up in their lives, they'd come up to me and be like, hey, you know, what crystal's good for X, Y, Z, you know? So they knew. And maybe that added some credibility to it that I was so open about it, especially at the end when I knew I was leaving. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> but I had already become well known, as well known as you can be at that point. It was like 2012. And at that point, I had co- quite a large following. And I was like, I can't confuse everybody by changing my name. So I like Hibiscus Moon. It's beautiful. So I'm keeping it. (laughs) I love it. And it's such an interesting talisman kind of from the point of view of where you were and how you've come to where you are and the times and how they've changed to the point where now I have sent my mother a Mother's Day gift of crystals. And my mom, even though she's the art major, do not think that that means she has anything to do with crystals or openness to this stuff either. But she just likes beautiful design. And I think I inherited that from her. But I told her, you know, put this stone here and put this one in the bedroom and this one on your desk and just kind of, you know, the fact that she's even open to receiving pretty rocks that I'm going to tell her to put in different places. I don't know what my dad's going to say when she starts doing this, if she does, but, you know, we've come a long way. And yet at the same time, the cool thing is the science is catching up with the mystical and the non-physical. So can you give us kind of an overview of how this science works with crystals? Because I've got them all over my place. It's my biggest addiction, my favorite collection of things, but yet I don't understand exactly what's happening at the molecular level that's making me these things good for all the different uses that they have. Okay, you just opened Pandora's box. Let's dive in because everybody's cheering right now. They're on their walks and their kids. They're like, yes, this is it. Okay, let me start off by comparing humans to crystals because we're so different. So it really helps me to drive home and show how crystals are what they are and can do what they do. Because see, our body has an average vibrational frequency. And I say average because we're made up of all these different vibrational frequencies. Science even knows that each one of our organs have a different vibrational frequency, each organ. So your heart, your brain, your liver, all the various cells, the DNA, right down to the chromosomes, all these different. But we, So we have an average vibrational frequency, and it's not very stable. In fact, it's quite easily influenced by all sorts of things in our environment. I'm sure I don't need to tell your audience about that. So that frequency can get really out of whack when we experience any type of stress, any type of stress, any kind of energy that comes into our field can set this frequency out of whack. And humans, you know, we're relatively short lived when compared to crystals. Crystals take millions of years to go through their life cycle, sometimes billions of years. And we're quite vibrational unsteady, you know, vibrationally from a vibrational point of view. So we're easily energetically influenced from all sorts of things, including emotions. And emotions are simply energy, as you know. Actually, since we're all connected to and influenced by everything in our environment, including crystals and stones, our unstable vibrational nature makes it so that Anything, absolutely anything can interact with our energy field and leave its mark. 
Okay, wait, let me stop and clarify two elements because I'm really thinking in the back of my head about the listener. Two things I want to clarify. Vibrational frequency, you guys might even be wondering, what is that? Yeah, it sounds like a term I hear these like pseudoscience-y people talking about now. What is it? So you guys, it's the oscillation. Think of the sine wave. That's not going to ring true or remember it. But like, think of the up and down wave that you used to see in calculus or in math class that goes up and down, up and down. The liver is what she's saying, has a different rate that it does per second, for example, than the heart. And that's what makes it separate and a different organ than the heart because it's got a different frequency. If it was the same, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, would it be the same organ if it had exactly the same frequency? That's why they're different. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're different. Otherwise, it's kind of like if you touched a table, you can't actually ever touch a table, guys, because if you were truly touching it, it wasn't the electrical force pushing apart the atoms, you would be merged with the table because you would be the same rate as the table. So this is the same with these organs. All the organs would be the same organ if they had exactly the same frequency. They have to be slightly off so that they can be differentiated from each other and have their own use. Hibiscus, is that true? I am so impressed by you, Jess. Oh my gosh, you're explaining this stuff better than I do. (laughs) Well, I think that's actually one of my favorite things is to hear the science and then explain it because I'm not the scientist. I can like translate it to the human. So that's the frequency. And then you said field. Can you explain what an energy field is? Because people, again, may have heard these terms, but they're like still skeptical on what the heck it is. Yeah. So imagine that everything around you, your environment, imagine we were in water, we were in a pool of water instead of air, and you wave your arms around and your arms make those waves, right? And you see those waves ripple out. Well, everything we do is making energy waves throughout our environment. So whether we wave our arm or we speak or we think a thought, it's sending out these vibrational ripples into our environment, which are stronger the closer they are to the source being us. And then they get a little weaker and a little weaker. But uh, science says they actually go on infinitely, if you can imagine that. Yes. And Abraham says all this stuff. You know, one thing to hear Abraham on a non-physical entity channeling about the note that you hear lasts forever. The thought you have lasts forever. And you're like, well, I do not want that one to live forever. Thank you very much. And now I'll also say here, guys, so we can measure the heart. You know, actually, the field for the heart, the electromagnetic thing, you probably know this hibiscus, but we think it's about eight feet out. But that's only because the measurement tool that we use can measure only to eight feet out. So we're not actually even sure how far it truly goes because the measuring system is limited by the mechanics of the physical box it's using. It goes on forever. It goes on infinitely. Like so, I can't remember who said it, but you blow on a flower here on Earth and the stars move in the universe. You know, that that's or the butterfly effect. You know, we've also heard that any little thing that is done anywhere reverberates everywhere. It's mind boggling to really think about. It's truly mind boggling. But when she's saying energy field, she's speaking about, yeah, that's such a great example, using your hands to move around in water and how those ripples come out. So that's the field is the impact that it's having around you in the water. That's the field. Right. Okay. (laughs) 
God, this is so good. I'm so happy. Sorry, I sidetracked. But I think this is really, if we're going to be the skeptical science guide, we're going to have to explain the terms that we take for granted, but we really need to explain this is real stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm used to teaching with a lot of visuals too. So without that, I'm glad I have you to kind of be the the person, the visual there being like, okay, let me explain this to everybody. (laughs) Okay. So you're talking about everything in, in crystals have taken millions of years to form. Humans are very different. We're very different in lots of ways. So we were saying, yeah, so we have this unstable vibrational behavior about us, right? Makes it so that anything can interact with our energy field and and can leave its mark on us. So like we, we always say, you always hear where thought goes, energy flows, right? Or what you resist persists. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm sure you, I don't need to explain to you just, but we know that quantum physics has proven this, where thought goes, energy flows. Our conscious thoughts directly influence the actions of subatomic particles. This has been proven in science. In fact, that's the whole premise of physics, famous Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. And I'm not talking about Breaking Bad Heisenberg, although I can totally go off on that because I love love Breaking Bad. But uh, we won't talk about that. The Heisenberg's uncertainty principle was based on an experiment where they were observing subatomic particles, like electrons, the parts of an atom, right? And thinking about or observing those subatomic particles influenced the velocity and the outcome of what the subatomic particles were doing. So they found if they were watching them, observing them, thinking about them, it influenced what they were doing. They could not know how fast a subatomic particle was going to go or where it was going to go at the same time because just the action of observing them influenced what they did. Yes. Actually, this is what got me into quantum in the first place was I was watching a documentary. can't remember the name of it. It was from the Science Channel about time travel and how they were measuring the electrons hitting the back of a wall, basically. And it's the double slit experiment. But what they did or something similar to the double slit. If you guys want to look that up on YouTube, there's many videos about the double slit that are great. So just go search that. You'll find a million of them. But they were trying to measure the outcome with a little measuring system that was capturing it after it landed or somehow so it was kind of trying to go around the effect they were getting which was consciousness you know affects the outcome of the result well basically they realized that as they tried to make a little measurement system they would do it in a different order so that the electrons didn't know (laughs) essentially what was going to happen they still knew after the fact that it was going to be recorded. So they still behaved as though someone was watching as it happened because it was able to perceive somehow, we have no idea how, that it was eventually going to be recorded. So it kind of must have gone into the future in some way to know, okay, eventually they're going to document this. So we have to behave in the way that it's expected versus the way that it does when it's not observed. So it is wild. And that's when I got into all of this and going, oh my gosh, everything Abraham's been saying is true. We just don't know it at the the particle, at the atomic level or above. You guys, also, another term, subatomic particle. That is the stuff. Those are the pieces of an atom. That's it. It's just the elements that make the atom. Once it's in the atom form, the physics dramatically shifts into everything you know and been taught in your normal science classes. It's once you go below and you break the atom apart that everything changes. That's when the quantum physics gets started. That's when quantum mechanics becomes involved. That's when we figure out we know nothing at all. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's when everything breaks down and the scientists, well, that aren't into quantum kind of go a little crazy. And it's such a fun subject to explore, though, and it really opens your mind to what most science people that say they're into the science and that the world and the physical reality is all there is. They're just really unfamiliar with quantum mechanics, I feel like. (laughs) They just haven't studied it. So they don't know that there is so much more to what they perceive and that they're only perceiving such a small portion. But I would say for anyone that's hardcore science and like thinks in the physical reality, if you can't see, smell, taste, or touch it, that it doesn't exist, please go start diving into quantum if it interests you, because I think it's going to really open up a lot of different possibilities for you that you may never have considered before. It certainly will. Okay, so I love how we're in quantum for crystals. This is so my happy place. Okay, keep going. Okay, and someone might be saying, she hasn't even said anything about crystals yet. When are we going to get to that? But we're getting there. We're vibrations, quantum. Okay, so consciousness affects our reality. That's what you were just saying. Yeah, where thought goes, energy flows. We're talking about that. And so this means that the abilities to heal or change your perception of reality and vibrate at your desired frequency are already present. They're present within the cells of your body, just waiting to vibe up with the correct frequencies. Vibe up is the technical term for that is to entrain. Okay, so you get what I mean with by that, by vibing up. You want something to influence you to get to that frequency that where you want to be. So simply by observing or thinking, we're quite literally creating our own reality and perceptions with our thought patterns, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's kind of, again, just to keep filling through. I mean, you're saying it beautifully. You guys, let's say you're like liver is really out of balance because there's a lot of chaos that's going on in your emotional state and it keeps getting pummeled in the liver. Like what she's saying when she's saying entrain up, you're trying to find harmony and the frequency that's ideal for the liver. So you're trying to find that frequency that matches the harmonic, healthy state of the liver. That's what entraining means. Is your And hey, guys, alignment before action. Emotional alignment is one of the best things you can do for the body because you're finding a way to find harmony within yourself and the neural peptides that are feeding your cells in your body and all of those different organs, what they're getting. So when you're unhappy, the neural peptides, I... Have you studied any of the frequency of neural peptides? Have they figured that out yet? That is not an area I've dived into. Are you a, a student of David Asprey? I've heard him on uh, Tim Ferriss' show, but I don't know much about him. He talks a lot about that stuff. You should listen to his podcast. I think you'll love that. Cool. All right. Okay. So you're talking about entrainment. Um, we're trying to reach the optimal frequencies for our organs. Okay. So it's important to keep in mind that our entire physical universe is made up of pure energy and vibration. I think we've established that. Einstein determined that energy and matter are actually the same thing. E equals MC squared, that whole formula you always see and hear about. And we want to translate that into like regular human speak here. That means energy equals matter. That's all it means. It's multiplied the matter, multiplied by the speed of light. Don't get too hung up on that part. That's just a little mathematical trick. So crystals are matter which equals energy. And crystals have vibrations just like everything else does, okay? But the vibrations from crystals are very different. Different forms of matter and energy vibrate at different vibrational frequencies. Um, That's due to their molecular arrangement and other variables, and they have differing stabilities. So I'll get into more about that. The different frequencies depend on 
like I said, different variables. And if we're talking about a crystal, it would depend on the crystal's specific molecular composition, like what elements make up that crystal, its size, its thickness, its specific color, very, very important because the visible color that we see is just specific light frequencies. And people have a hard time understanding this, but if I'm looking at an amethyst crystal and I see that violet, Okay, that's a very specific vibrational frequency, a specific light frequency on the electromagnetic spectrum. So all these different things play into the stability and the vibrational frequency of that crystal. Okay, so again, I'm just going to bring the human speak a little in here, guys. Okay, so when she's saying the electromagnetic spectrum for color, so each color has its own cycles per second. And as you transition out of one frequency of cycles per second that is red, then you enter into, you start to tinge into the orange. So the Roy G. Biv, the rainbow you see, it is just the moving through of different cycles per second of light waves. So the light wave, as you're seeing, the purple is matching the purple frequency spectrum. That's what she's saying. So when you see a really light purple, that's a slightly different frequency, but still very close to the dark purple versus the red, which would be pretty different. Right. And if you saw those waves coming by, like you were explaining before, the sine waves, the red color light frequency has a longer wavelength so a slower frequency, so that wave is coming by less frequently, okay? If you're standing in one spot, that red wavelength, you'd see that wavelength, it's longer, so it's coming by less frequently, so it's lower frequency than the violet wavelength, which comes by more frequently, okay? Because it's higher frequency, it has a shorter wavelength, higher frequency. Beautiful. And I just actually connected in, this is personally in my head, the minute you just said that, I just thought of the chakras and the rainbow going up from down and kind of thinking of the light and the energy pouring through the top where it's the fastest and shortest and how it kind of like almost like momentum slows down as it goes through the body systems to get to the red, which is the slowest, lowest frequency. It's quite literally all connected. And I go deep into that in my teachings, but that's it right there. It's not like it. It is it. So it's just the energy slowing down through the body is what changes the color spectrum and what changes the energy centers. Whoa, my mind is now so happy. You got it. Wow, wow. Okay, so if you guys don't know what chakras are, go look them up again on YouTube. Um, you can find so much information on those. But okay, let's keep going. I love how much we're weaving in the world of this stuff, even just to get to crystals. Right. Let's talk about the thing that makes crystals so important. This is the thing that's important to define a crystal makes it so different is what I should say, differentiate it from everything else. What actually makes a crystal a crystal is that its molecules, if you were able to zoom down in with a scanning electron microscope, that's the kind of microscope that can see the molecules really, really small. They're arranged in this fixed, regularly repeating geometric pattern. Okay. So it's geometric. It's repeating on a regular format. So it's not random at all. It's the exact opposite of random. So since they're so geometrically perfect at the molecular level, they have the lowest possible state of disorganization because see everything in the universe is not everything, but it seems like in our immediate universe, things tend towards disorganization. If you don't mow the lawn, it becomes a chaotic, weedy mess. If you don't clean up your room on a regular basis, it becomes messy, right? So things tend to rust and, you know, 
tend towards disorganization if you don't put work into the system to keep it organized. But since the crystals are so geometrically perfect, they have this low state of disorganization and they easily maintain their stability, very much unlike us. I described us as humans before. We're not like that at all. We're very unstable. Yeah. You know what I had here? Just so, so people are thinking, okay, the molecular structure is really consistent. Think of it now. This is not accurate to water, but think of it the difference between melted ice cubes and ice cubes. The structure's locked in in the ice cube, the ice state, and it's a messy, watery, slippery, moving, amoebic kind of experience when water's in the melted liquid state. Is that a kind of an example to kind of get people's visual in their mind around what a locked in structure is? It's it's the locked in, really rigid, really structured, like every atom is marching to the same beat of the same drum. Yeah. Ice is actually a technical crystal when it's frozen. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it qualifies as an actual crystal if you're able to see it. And, you know, think of snowflakes, too. They're perfect little crystals. You've all seen what they look like, right? Yeah, they're perfect little – they qualify technically as a crystal as long as it's in the frozen state. So that's interesting you brought that up. Wow. And you think about how much information is stored and transferred through water. It's Water is super magical. If you guys look into the properties of water, it's unlike anything else in the system. Okay. So now we've got a really rigid, structured, organized molecule structure. Right. And due to that rigid structure, the energy is more of an influencer because of that stability. It has, the crystals have this ability to influence the energies around them, it becomes something that we call of a higher amplitude, energy of a higher amplitude. If you think of an amplifier for a band, right, that that raises the energy of the music so it's louder. Well, when energy is more stable, it becomes more powerful, it becomes of a higher amplitude, and therefore it, it can influence the energy around it and train it, like we said before. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right, think of someone that's really, really calm and peaceful in your life and the effect that they have when you're around them tends to bring you into a more calm and peaceful state. A yoga teacher or someone who's been meditating for a very long period of time, that state and consistency that they even have, you can feel that effect. You're saying we can feel that not just from humans that are still kind of messy in their frequencies all over the place. We can actually feel that from a crystal. Yep. And likewise, if someone comes into the room that has a high amplitude negative kind of energy, that can influence us as well, if you think about it. So it's just about whichever energy is stronger, not necessarily whichever one is a higher frequency. It's more about not so much the frequency, and this gets a little technical. It's more about the amplitude of the energy. So which wave is higher? If you were able to see it on a wave measuring tool, it's which wave is higher. But the stability of the molecules in a crystal tends to create more stable and be more of an energy influencer. That's beautiful. Okay, so how does this work in our lives? When we go to the crystal shop, we're not seeing any of this stuff (laughs) mentioned. We're seeing this is good for feminine energy and this is good for creativity and this one's great for self-love. Okay, so how does that connect? I wanna be cautious though. I wanna say, you know, crystals and stones, they're powerful, yes. I want to say they're tools and supports, and 
they really work best if they're not left to do all the work by themselves. Like, oh, yep, I got this amethyst crystal. She said that it's supposed to calm everything down. And just, you know, you go about your business doing whatever you usually do with your crazy self and nothing's happening. Now, see, I told you that wouldn't work, you know. So you have to couple their natural energy with powerful intention. And then if you do that, sky's the limit. Remember, where thought goes, energy flows. So crystals, I see them as a tool and a support. and They can make the work, whatever you're doing, if you're doing manifestations and intentions, so much easier. They act as a guide, an influencer, an energy influencer, a tool, a support that can greatly amplify, like we said before, your intentions if you have clear intentions. And also something else that I want to bring up because I love this quote. It's from Arthur Schopenhauer. He was a German philosopher, and it's so true for crystals right now, okay? All truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. Third, it's accepted as being self-evident. And I feel like we're in that stage now where we're probably in the second stage And this is true for anything that we've accepted, even, you know, the earth is round, you know, and, and, you know, all kinds of things, you know, that the earth, the earth is not the center of the entire universe, you know, all these things, they go through these three stages. So um, when people feel like, you know, their family is ridiculing them for their interest in crystals, it's normal, just know it's normal. That's, that's the way it goes. I've actually heard a quote, I forget who said it, that said basically it's easier for a whole generation to die off with a new one accepting a new idea than it is to change the beliefs of the original. And this makes sense, guys. All right. So let me, again, jump in a little bit with some context uh, outside of crystals. So from zero to 12, you're in a delta, alpha, theta brainwave state predominantly. So you're in the subconscious, like getting downloaded. So whatever your older generations have heard and experienced from that young age, that generally kind of think of it kind of as it continues to reverberate the rest of their lives because they've accepted it from that young age in that very impressionable subconscious state as their brain speeds up through beta as they become adults. They end up keeping the subconscious programming that they receive from all of their influences when they were younger. And unless they're going in and changing those subconscious beliefs, they're going to keep having them. So this is why it's easier for a new generation to come out and just go, okay, I'm not going to have all this other stuff saying it's not true to have to overcome. I can come into an environment where things are more accepted, even like little by little, the breaking down of those old patterns from the older generations. They might open up a bit like, look, I'm sending my mom crystals. I don't think I could have done that a few years ago. I think it would have just gone in a drawer. Now, I actually think they're going to sit where I asked her to put them. I don't know for sure. And she could put them wherever she wants. But I actually think there's an openness enough for her to at least put them there. It doesn't mean that she's going to get necessarily any benefit, like you said. Yes, I think there is some benefit whether you put your intention into it or not. But if you really want to get the biggest powerful punch out of it, you want to put everything into it and it will work so much more effectively. I Yeah, I feel it's important to tune into the energy of the crystal, but it doesn't mean that it won't work at all. It will still influence. But just like you would dial in something like back in the day, you know, I can, you can tell how old I am because I had a radio that where you dialed things in. Okay. (laughs) And to tune into specific frequency, just like we were talking about before to receive, 
desired radio station. Okay, I want my favorite radio station to come in. I had to get that dial in just in the right spot to get the frequency right where I wanted it so I wasn't getting static and stuff in there. So once you're tuned in, you can set your intention and align it with your crystal. So it's more about programming yourself than it is about programming the crystal. So, you know, like by tuning in first, we're getting into harmony, like you said before, with the energy of the crystal. And then by clarifying our intentions, we're making this sometimes like muddy work of communicating with source energy more clear. And you're laser focusing your energy to your purpose and your objective. Okay, so this is actually a great segue. So one of the first things is you guys go to a crystal shop and you maybe find one, and we'll talk about that in a second, but one of the things you'll hear very quickly in this work is cleansing a crystal and programming it and even reprogramming it. Why do we need to do those things? And also, I want to just kind of jump in here. Just It came to mind, and I just want to share it. Also, guys, consider, even though this all sounds wild and fantastical to some minds, also recognize all of our technology is also based on crystals, remembering and in that ordered frequency. So do you want to share a little bit about the crystals and the silica and the chips and the watches? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, the crystals. Okay. I could go on all day about all the technology. There's a lot. There's a lot, but I'll just talk a little bit about one aspect of it. Okay, so quartz, very, very special because the Pierre brothers, uh, Pierre Curie, yeah, I, I, my brain is going, so I start, Marie Curie's husband, I think it was Pierre Curie and I forgot the other guy's name, but <laughs> they were brothers and um, they discovered a unique property with quartz crystals called piezoelectricity. So when we say quartz, we're talking about amethyst, citrine, rose quartz, clear quartz, smoky quartz, all of those. All right. So they did an experiment where they wired a quartz crystal to a recording device and they hit it. They struck it with something and they realized by doing that, they could produce an electric signal. And they were like, wow, there's, we, we just created electricity, you know, or we transformed energy somewhere and got electricity out of this crystal. And they also found that squeezing it also did the same thing. It resulted in an electric signal. So crystals cannot create or generate energy, but some crystals can serve as what we call transducers. So that means they're capable of transforming energy from one form into another. You've all heard of that law of thermodynamics. Maybe you have or haven't. Um, energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only transformed from one form to another. So rather than generating it, it's transforming. It's allowing the energy to be transformed from one form into another. So in this case, we're talking about transducing mechanical energy, the energy of striking or squeezing the crystal into electrical energy or vice versa, an electric current into a mechanical force. So we call that piezoelectricity. It's a really geeky reason why quartz is so scientifically like magical, like it's so it's such an amazing crystal. Quartz produces this voltage when pressured in any way. And the electric charge actually builds up in the quartz as a reaction to the stress. Have you ever heard of ball lightning? No. Oh, look that up on YouTube someday. It's just a big ball of light, okay? Some people think they're just UFOs, but they may be the result of electrified gas in our atmosphere from a quartz-bearing rock in the earth being subjected to like stress from a little earthquake or some tectonic stress or pressure in the planet when the crustal plates are moving and then it just boom and it just releases this big ball of lightning in the air, just a ball from the quartz and like the granite. Isn't that cool? 
it has to just transform the energy somehow. And that's the shape and form that it takes. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this guy's, it's again, I think this is perfect to explain that technology is using this. So of course our own consciousness can use this as a tool. Right. That's just one simple, um, and I didn't even get into the technological uses of, but when they figured out this whole piezoelectric thing, I mean, there's pyroelectricity, there's tribal luminescence, there's so many different properties, and we figured out how to use them in technological ways. They use this piezoelectricity it's, um, in lots of different modern technologies. They use them in different types of scientific measurements, ultrasonic waves, in medicinal purposes, sonar, different types of drives for space in outer space and medical technology the large hadron collider that uses a piezoelectric chip for its synchrotron smart material sensors isn't our iphone in our laptop isn't that all crystal using too that's a different type of crystal that's a silicon chip and that's used for memory and then there's other crystals that we use for super memory we call them superman crystals those are lab created though so i kind of like poo poo the man created things i like the the all natural I love that. Silicon, by the way, it's a crystal as well, correct? Silicon is a different, they make it from silica, which is silicon dioxide, which comes from the quartz crystals. They melt it down, they alter the oxygen in it slightly, and becomes silicon. So it's a different form, but it does essentially come from the knowledge we've learned from silica. Amazing. I love how much information you have on this. This is so satisfying for a science mind to go, okay, this works and it's actually real. So, all right, let's now move to from the science to a crystal shop. How do we now translate all of this to the little signs we see on the rocks and how do we pick them and how do we know how to use them in our daily lives? All right. So picking them, I'm going to make it really easy go with your intuition. The one that you're first attracted to, the one that you say you just love, there's probably a really good reason for that. Go with it. Go with your heart. Let your heart pick the crystal, not a book. I mean, books come in handy. They do. But I try to teach my students to go with their intuition and go with their heart and go with an unbiased mind, if at all possible. And why do you recommend that instead of looking at the qualities that are on the card, for example? Because there's a lot of contradiction out there from book to book. If you haven't noticed that already, some people uh, get quite frustrated by that. It's not 100% across the board for everyone. Sometimes, you know, a book will recommend something and it'll work for most, but it may not work for everyone. And your intuition just always, in, in my studies of doing this over, I've been teaching this stuff since 2009. Like I said, I just always noticed when someone chose something from their heart, it always seems to work so much better than going from the brain. I also like to personally hold them. I remember when I held a Labradorite, I held one and I had an audible sigh of relief. And I was like, whoa, okay, I need this one. It was about relaxing as I looked at the intention and letting go of things. And I was like, whoa, all right, this one's going in the basket. <laughs> well, that was a strong result from that. Yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to jump on something you said before about going into the crystal shop, what you'll hear most often is they kind of give you instructions, right? On what to do with your crystals once you get them home. Yes. Yeah. And you asked before, why do they need to be cleared and programmed? And I say they don't at all. Ooh, you're shaking up the crystal world, hibiscus. I know. Crystal controversy here. <laughs> this is big, guys. This is like non-immunization big in the crystal world. <laughs> Not 
not saying like anything that. either way, by the way, about cleansing crystals nor immunizations. I am not taking a side. I'm just sharing. It's a big controversy. <laughs> a lot of times it's dogma. Okay. It, it can be dogma. Now, I will recommend, okay, if you don't know where crystals been, you know, it is a good idea to retune it, I like to call it. Just, and all you need for that is strong amplitude energy, like we talked about before. And just bring the crystal into your environment. And just in case someone owned it before you, because crystals have been around a really long time, you know, unless they were mined straight out of the ground from you, you don't know where they've been. So maybe we need to retune it. But as far as clearing, programming, charging, all of that stuff, I just leave it by the wayside. I feel that certain crystals can help with certain specific things or have a set of certain properties due to their, like we talked about before, their unique molecular structure and their specific vibrational frequencies. So they have a certain set of correspondences and things that they're usually good for for most, like we said before. So knowing that, why would a crystal need us to, and I'm using quote marks in the air, program it, right? Does this crystal really need us to tell it what to do or to tell it anything? So we're going to tell the crystal what to do for us or we're going to try to control it in some way. I don't even know that we're able to do that. Do we tell a medicinal herb how it's going to heal us? I think not, right? No. Well, here, is it is it more about when we do that, that we're setting our intent, like you said earlier in the show, it's us holding the crystal and having the intention. So we're programming ourselves, our own bodies to that frequency and intention more than the crystal itself. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to go against the grain and the inherent programming that nature and mama earth baked into that crystal. So let's say, for example, I decide to use a clear calcite to help um, gain a new perspective on something. Do I need to tell the calcite this and program it and charge it in some way to make it do what I want? Or if I already have the belief that the calcite has that specific correspondence, it's more about programming myself. So I tune in first, get into harmony with the crystal, and then clarify my intention around what I'm trying to achieve. How do you tune in to the crystal? Go into wherever you deem it to be a sacred space for yourself. It doesn't have to be a lot. It can be a closet as long as it's quiet and no one's going to bother you there. Go there with your crystal, maybe meditate for a few minutes to get into that, you know, alpha brainwave state and allows you to focus on what you're going to be doing. And then just take right, maybe write down your intention on a small piece of paper so you can refer to it. And then I'm sure you talk, I know you talk about this all the time, Jess, is you want to get really clear and visualize yourself living your intention in 3D. How would it feel? How would it sound when you've achieved that intention? Um, and now just take your crystal and hold it to your third eye while you're visualizing that. Because the crystal at the third eye really helps you with shooting that vision from the third eye right into your energy field, like a laser beam of light. Third eye, guys, is your forehead. That's where the third eye is, just so people know. Yeah. And then hold your crystal over your heart as you send feelings of gratefulness for what's already being achieved. The wheels are already in motion. The manifestation wheels are already rolling. Feel that joy of that intention and letting it flow from your heart into your crystal and just give it a heartfelt thank you. And then release it into the source energy, into the universe. You're done. 
I love that. Do you want to know what I do at night? I have crystals all over my home in each one. It's funny, guys. I can tell you like the little skeptical side before I learned all of this stuff we've just talked about in this conversation. Um, I was kind of like, you know, I don't really know if it works, but I can tell you, I don't want to move my crystals. Once they have found a home in my home, they don't go. I like, I don't want them to be other places. And each one, for whatever their purpose is, kind of like what these are bedside crystals. And this is a, a, a coffee table crystal and those kinds of things. But I have this little bowl of crystals that are small. And I have very different, you know, meanings and energies for each one. And at night, before I go to bed, this is like my little routine or ritual. If I have one in my life, it's this in mochas. But I put out <laughs> the crystals based on the energies and what I at least have honestly just read about them to do. What I feel called and feel interested in amplifying in my day the next day and in my night as I sleep. And so I make this little row of like, I don't know, between five and 10 crystals next to my bed each night. And there's always a different combination. And I just kind of like mixing them up and doing them even in different orders next to my bed. But it's been a fun little way of probably for myself, just in training myself to the intentions that I'm setting with the crystals next to me to remind me sort of, what do you think of my random concoction? I love it. You know why I love it? Because it's simple and it's practical. It's not this big ritual thing, you know, and, and it allows you to customize what you need each day. I love that. Yeah, it's like a little recipe, but each one's different and it's based on that day. And even now I'm getting playful with the, it's playful guys. It's not like serious, but I play with the combinations. Now I'm more aware as I've done this for a few weeks of like the order I put them in and like where they go next to each crystal, like which crystals are next to each one. And I have a little clear quartz that I use as a little generator for one of them. That's like the amplified one of the day. It's just fun and it's playful. And if I didn't feel like doing it, I for sure would not, but it's been an enjoyable little thing. And like I said, I'm sending my mom crystals and I just put the little cards and said, here's where to put them. And they also have the meaning so that she'll be aware of those. One of the things I want to ask you, Hibiscus, is do you see any common misconceptions out there about crystals besides the programming <laughs> and the cleansing, which we've already discussed? Sometimes I, I have people ask if there's like a bad combination of crystals. Like I heard that you shouldn't put this here or you shouldn't have black onyx with this one and that one. And and I really haven't found a bad combination of crystals like that something horrible in your life is going to happen because you put these two crystals together. It's like a bad spell and you're like, oh God, I didn't know. Right. That, that's one that I've heard of that I would like to dispel, but I think we touched on the big ones already. Okay. And is there anything that you think people overlook when it comes to using crystals or the benefits of crystals? Yeah. If you think that it needs to be really ceremonial and that, you know, you're shying away from using crystals because you think that there's some right way, you're not doing it right. There is no right way and you don't need to be ceremonial about it at all. I'm the most practical person there is, you know, just fit it into my daily life where I really don't have to think about it. And that's the way I'm going to actually use them. Like you gave that little ritual that you do at, at night, but it's not very involved. It's simple and easy. And so it can be just having them in your environment. As long as your belief is aligned and in harmony with the crystals, that's how they're going to work best. But it can be just simple as wearing a necklace or a ring or a bracelet. You know, it can be very, very simple and you don't have to get really, you know, into all the 
the dogma and the ceremony of it at all. You certainly can get into the ceremony. There are ways that and there are, there are all kinds of things out there that people do, but you don't have to do that at all. It can be very, very easy. I just had this vision of me eventually, if I have a, a child that is interested in it, doing it with them before bed sounds so fun to ask them what their intentions are for the next day and having them kind of uh, pick their crystals at a, like an age appropriate age, obviously, and if they're interested in it. But I think that'd be a cute way to check in with them about what they're looking to feel. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, through my students and my nieces and nephews, I've seen kids have such an affinity to crystals. They're natural partners. They take to them like a fish to water. They, you know, they just, they know what to do with them. They don't even need adults telling them what to do with the crystals. They make their own little crystal grids and they take them with, and they go, this crystal needs to come with me today. And this crystal said this and, or is saying this, you know, not really like that they're hearing, but they know what the energy of the crystal is for. They already, they don't need all of our interference, the adults, you know, the, the kids already know. And I also just realized it took me a few years to figure this out. But as we went earlier into the color spectrum and how the waves of color change, and as they do, they hit different frequencies. And then we reference chakras and how the chakras, the rainbow pattern up our bodies, the crystal colors are indicating, like you said, the frequency of each crystal. And so you can kind of match in a loose way, the chakra to the color of the stone. That took me probably years to realize that like yellow stuff's probably going to have to do with the solar plexus, that green's going to probably have to do with the heart. And there's like pink tourmaline, which I guess also has to do with the heart. So some don't always line up exactly as you see in the chakra system, but that might help people also kind of navigate a general guide to the color and the impact it'll have on the body. Yeah, that's a really easy way. Yeah, that's one way that I teach is you can just go to the colors and 95% of the time, you're right, the color will match to the color chakra. Um, the violet crystals are going to be good for the third eye and the blue crystals are generally going to be good for the throat chakra. It's a really easy way to connect with them. Awesome. What about results from crystals that you've seen over the years? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I could go on and on. I mean, I I hear from my students and just followers and people on my newsletter every day of things that are going on, what they've manifested with their crystal grids or ailments that they've cured or healed using crystals and working with crystals in the chakras and doing crystal healing sessions on themselves for their clients. I mean, the ripple effect is just going on and on endless. You can use them for everything and anything you can think of. I love that. So what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? Just, you know what, get really simple with it. Get a clear quartz crystal. That's the easiest one to get. It's very, very affordable because they're abundant. And just take it and plop it in your water. Okay, do an experiment. Take two glasses of water, have a regular glass of water and a, another glass of water. You put the clear quartz crystal in it. Okay, it's not toxic. It's not going to hurt you at all. And leave it in the water for about 15 minutes. And then go ahead and do a taste test. And see which water you think tastes better. You're going to notice a huge difference with the quartz water, that's your gem water, than with the regular water. And you'll see right there how it affects the vitality of the water. And as you said before, water is very imprintable and carries all kinds of information, but it just makes it like this beautiful healing water. And you can taste it. You can taste the difference. Actually, have you heard of Madam Dry, by the way? No, I haven't. Okay, so people that follow my Instagram know I'm obsessed with it. It's a crystal-infused sparkling water. 
here in Australia that's made during a full moon. <laughs> it's like all the things. It's all the magical things. You should try to find it. They don't ship to the U.S. yet. I know Americans have been asking me. I stock five dozen at a time. I just have it. I'll share an Instagram. I actually have a new order coming because I just ran through all my five dozen. But yeah, it is my favorite. They have a lavender and a rose, or lavender amethyst and a rose quartz rose water one. And there's sparkling waters there. And then the as they filter through the the essences and the the locally sourced sparkling water they put the crystal chargers or generators in the system during the full moon and that's when they do them it's it's a beautiful beautiful wonderful i'm friends with the owner now samantha and she is trying by the way guys to get to the us so for sure this is part of her flow if it happens. I'm trying to help her if I can in any way. But I love you can do this at home. So all the Americans can make their own by doing this. And by the way, also have a friend, funny story, put a pyrite in his water thinking we can infuse the water, found out he almost poisoned himself. So definitely look up which are the ones we can put in the waters and which are the ones we shouldn't. Yeah, the sulfur. Well, the iron probably oxidized in that. And it probably didn't taste so great. But we didn't do anything too bad. But yeah, there, there are some crystals you don't want to put in your water. So just stick to the quartz and you'll be okay. And I'd like to make sure that you use a tumbled stone so you're not putting little chards and chips and things in the water that you might accidentally swallow. And make sure you wash the stone well, too, before you plop it in the water because you don't know where it's been. And, you know, when they handle them, when they do the lapidary to smooth them and everything, they put all kinds of stuff on them. So make sure you wash it well before you throw it in. And then you're all good to go. This is such an interesting evolution of our society. Like you said, in 07, you had to hide your name. <laughs> it had to be so in the closet, couldn't put your face on it. I remember even a year ago, I went to my friend's house and they had alkaline, naturally sourced water, big jugs that they had, that they had delivered to their house for the highest quality they could find locally. And then they had crystals on top of them. And this is all before I've really opened up to all this stuff. And I used to think, wow, they're really out there. And now I'm sitting with three rose quartz crystals on top of my alkaline tub of water. So I'm literally now following their footsteps. So even if this isn't landing with you now, now you know where it is and you can always come back to this too. If it's not your time at this moment, it may sometimes time soon be of interest to you. So don't be surprised if that happens as well. Hibiscus, thank you so much. This has been just as much fun as I thought it would be. And I just want to jam with you more about all the science behind it too. Oh my God, this has been so much fun. Thank you for humoring me and all my geek crystal talk because I don't get many opportunities to just go on and on and on like this. <laughs> I will go for days. This is totally my jam. Thank you so much. Thank you. And there you have it. Hibiscus, thank you again for coming on the show and thank you for listening. If you want to find Hibiscus Moon on Instagram, you can do so at Hibiscus Moon. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in Crystal Lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Hibiscus Moon. Now for where I'm up to next, I have finally ordered the living room chairs. I may have shared in other episodes that I thought they were ordered and then they were not. They actually were out of stock at the place I wanted to order. And as I tried to flow onto other chairs, I just could not get that style out of my mind. And as flow would have it, I ended up manifesting through 
Etsy. Somehow I went on Etsy and was looking at sites and found the same chairs from another distributor here in Australia for even less than what I had previously purchased, the four-month delayed chairs. So I got the same chairs. It was just kind of like the universe wanted me to find them for the best price possible. So here I am so excited to receive them in the next week or two and also a big print that's going to go in the foyer of my apartment and then the major pieces of my little lively home are all complete here in Australia. I'm so excited to be sharing the apartment actually for those that are coming to C-School Live in June. So if you're coming to C-School Live and you're part of the Sydney VIP experience, you're going to be having a cocktail party here. And if you haven't yet looked into C-School and you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, you can go find out more and join us if you'd like to at C as in consciousness, school.io. Again, we're so excited to be working on the curriculum as well here at Team Lively at the moment, and all of the goodie bags, the alignment bags, and all of the other surprises we have in store for those that are coming. I'm so excited to work with you in person so soon. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 